Don't Give Up Your Day Job, a local musician's guide by me, Paul Gillings. An educational and sometimes humorous look at what it's like to be part of the local music scene. One of the absolute essentials and another hub for a local music scene is the local recording studio. I didn't even know we had one until I was looking for one. Was I looking for one? I couldn't afford one. I couldn't afford the whole days. So I thought I had no idea what a recording studio cost these days. It used to cost £150 a day. So I recorded my first um, EP album. Album was a whole album. Acoustic guitar, harmonica. And uh, I opened the wave and it, I just noticed it wasn't sounding as loud as everybody else's. I opened the waveform in Audacity and compared it to my favourite bands and the difference was unbelievable. So I started looking about and thinking, how could I get this to make it sound like sound like that? Obviously not musically, but um, how can I make it sound the same sort of volume? So I did a little search around and, and uh, fell across um, this fellow who sat in the studio with me today, Mr. Raoul Crane. Hello, Raoul. Hello, Paul. Thanks for finally getting in here. I'm sorry we had to cancel before. The big C word uh, got in the way. That's COVID, not cancer, by the way. <laughs> got in the way, didn't it? So sorry yeah. for cancelling on you yeah, before, no mate. worries. So yeah, you run Blaze Studios. Yep. In case they don't you, which yep. is about sort of eight, ten miles away from here. Yeah, about 25 minutes, I think. 25 so. minutes in the old, in the old man. Yeah, it depends on, on, you know, if the bridge is shut or whatever it is, doesn't it? You know, bloody <laughs> expenses. Or them lights at the Harfleys estate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I found you on, um, I can't remember where I just did a regular search or if I did um, Facebook. Um, uh, so, yeah, and you mixed and mastered my first album, didn't you? Yep, yeah, absolutely loved it. Yeah? Um, just, that that's kind of the thing I wanted to do mm. when I first set up Blaze Studios. Well, well, I'll talk about how it started. Yeah, please do. Years and years ago. I was in a band, my first band, called Raucous. Yeah, I remember Raucous. Yeah. Like I said, we used to live in the same town. I used to live in Caister. Yeah. I remember Raucous were, much like your other musical project, um, Floating Grounds, yeah. you had every gig going. And you boys, <laughs> you boys were absolutely everywhere. And with good reason, because you were freaking awesome. We so, were all right. I think we were just, <laughs> we were just something niche at the time and, yeah, and yeah. done some crazy stuff, like dressed up. and We, we obviously always tried to do songs... You know them songs where you think, well, that's a good song, mm. but you never knew who done it. Oh, really? One of them for me was Basket Case by Green Day. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know who Green Day was, but I always had heard the song. Right, right. So, yeah, we just done stuff like that. But the way the studio came about is um, we went to uh, Purple Studios in Norwich uh, that was in that church. Now, everybody I knew before I'd heard of Blaze Studios had used Purple Everyone Studios. Had. That everybody was the only one around, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Hammy was running it. Mm -hmm. He'd, I think it'd come from uh, Goulston Way, I think, hadn't it? I believe I believe so. I think it was originally called sure. Purple Rain. Okay, studios, yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. But I just know every one of my mates who were in bands around that time. Oh, Purple, yeah, you Pur could go and stay over there. Yeah. Legendary, you know, yeah. And uh, we went there, it's raucous. Um, and yeah, at the time, we I think we were only about 15. Thought we were rock stars. So about four years ago? Four yeah, years. yeah, yeah. I think three and a half. Yeah. We all thought we were rock stars because yeah. we were 15 and obviously everyone at school thought we were awesome, you know, as they do mm. when you're in a band. And uh, I just remember going in and I can never remember who the engineer was. And um, he introduced himself and uh, I said, oh, what, what do you do? And he said, my job is to get you guys done and dusted and out of here as quick as possible. Oh, wow. Oh, really? So, so Made no I, bones about that no, then. You know? <laughs> Not a great impression. And I thought, <laughs> and, I, and I was just, I thought, oh, didn't really think anything of it. And then I thought to myself, 
we, we, I think we'd wrote an original and we were a covers band, really. So we'd gone in and done some covers to make a CD and sell, you know, just to... Well, you were pulling in the crowd. It would seem a shame not to monopolise that. And also, I find those sort of demos are great for getting gigs, aren't they? Yeah. You know, at the time, handing out CDs, handing out tapes, cassettes yeah. and stuff like that was a way to get a gig so they couldn't go on YouTube no. and look at a clip That's right. Not, not like that, <laughs> yeah. So my dad was the manager and they used to ring up pubs and they'd say, well, have you got a CD? Yeah, yeah. So we invested a couple of days in this studio um, mm. just to do some covers. We did write an original one. And um, obviously I was fascinated by all the gear, mm. you know, watching and, and learning. And you were that kid. What does that do? What does this do? What does this do? You're like, power off. Yeah, I kind of just, <laughs> just sat back. I remember sitting in the control room and I had this massive desk and it was recording on ADAP. Mm. Mm. Um, like, they were like video machines. I remember, I remember ADAP. Some of our younger listeners may not remember no. some of that. <laughs> and I remember we had this little controller that could rewind it and fast forward so it. It's fairly advanced for the. T- I'm thinking the time you were thinking about it because around that time I was going in studios and they still had two inch tape. Yeah, he, he, I think he had two, so I think he could record 16 channels at once. I think. Check him out. Yeah, yeah. and uh, a bit of. Um, I mean, the mixing desk was massive. Yeah, yeah. And you know, straight away people were like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And. Uh, I was like, I was quite fascinated by it. And I was like, this is pretty cool. And how he got sounds. And I remember, like, the drummer being in the other room, you know, doing the testing of the kit, hitting the drums as he asked. Mm. And he he was sweeping around, and you could hear it go from, like, sounding really crap mm. to, hang on, that sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. And that was, like, quite fascinating. And when he'd said to me to get you buggers out as quick as possible, and he obviously just meant it jokingly. Sure. Yeah, I think. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he obviously thought, oh, look, another another bunch of youngsters doing covers. You know, this, is, this isn't going to be any good. Sure. And it got to the point where I thought, Do you know what? People make their music, mm. and if it sounds crap... People are going to just turn it off anyway. Right. Whether you're into music or not, mm, mm. if you turn it on, it's going to sound crap. And that that came to me when I used to work in the Never Turn Back behind the, the bar. Mm, okay, the, the old um, uh, pub down on the down on the beach there. Yeah, 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 yeah Manor yeah. Road. Yeah. And oh, they used to have bands on, and he used to get CDs in, and he wasn't into music at all, mm. and he'd play them, <clears> and if it sounded crap, just the quality, not necessarily, really? yeah, yeah, not necessarily, mm. you know, the musicianship, mm. just the sound quality. It's like, oh yeah, and I'd be like, hang on, actually they're they're pretty good. They're it really just, good. Yeah. You know, it just sounds like they've recorded <laughs> it in their garage mm. or. You know, as you did. I mean, you yeah. talk about those early, those early um, demos and stuff like that. We would literally sit around. I mean, it was harmonicas, so I guess it wasn't so bad. Just stick a tape recorder. And even when I was in uh, Nexus in and in the sort of late nineties, we had a, um, a mini disc recorder with a microphone input and just stuck that in the middle of the room yeah and if you wanted someone louder they got closer to the mic <laughs> yeah. typical Beatles we'll give, kind of absolutely. thing absolutely and we give that out for demos which seems to be alright but you know they were still like you say the can hear it gave the impression that whether we were any good or not yeah that's right yeah. Yeah. yeah and I just remember him like just you know not thinking about these bands just because the sound quality was crap and I was mm. like they actually you know they play in tight if you listen to that then mm-hmm. so I thought to myself why are, why are bands doing this that it's sounding crap. That was my thir- first thinking. And I must have only mm. been about probably 18 because I just started working behind a bar there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was all to do with budget. Yeah, absolutely. 
totally <laughs> all to really do with is, budget. Yeah, completely. Not necessarily is. musicianship or equipment, mm. but budget. A young young people are probably either still at college, still at school, they haven't got a full time job, and even those you know budding musicians, especially original musicians, you're not you're not got a bunch of money. Gigs don't, oh, still don't, unfortunately, paying a whole bunch of money. Nope. And enough to, enough spare to be able to put into that recording, and if you are, then you're going to put your heart and soul into it, and you know that's that. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So, I thought to myself, right, these musicians, even if they're youngsters who haven't got the money, they need to be able to showcase their original songs mm. at the best quality that it can be. So I started like, obviously, I'd been messing around with stuff on computers and that. For a couple of years before then. So you're talking about just just, just like the uh, the home PC that you had knocking around. I had a four did track. You, did you? I got Check one Christmas. Out. Yeah. And this is a classic. <laughs> Good old mum and dad. Yeah. Your four track. Did he even know what it was? Yeah, my dad did because he was oh, in a band years ago. Oh, you see. So he was awesome. very musical. Yeah, yeah. And um, he, I got I got it from Cooks. Mm. Tascam four track. I think it's about two hundred and forty nine quid. I, I had the Fostex version. Yeah, yeah. I think someone gave me that. Actually, I think it was old technology by the time I got it. So I had the Fostex four track version. Yeah. So but I know the one you mean. They were right to learn on, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Great bouncing down and stuff. Yeah, to like get that. as many tracks yeah. as you could. Yeah. <laughs> so I got that, and I'd been messing around, and you know, nothing ever really sounded any good. Mm. Not you know as you could get. So I've been messing around. And I thought, right, one day I'm gonna. I'm going to do a studio mm. and I'm not necessarily going to do it to make money. I'm going to do it because I love it. Mm. And I want to give these young bands who have got original material that you actually think is quite good. Mm. The opportunity to get it to sound as good as possible. Mm. So I then brought uh, a Roland VS 2480. Can you remember them? No, you beyond me. I'd kind of, I think I'd kind of, um, moved like when I was late 90s I kind of settled down shortly around 2000 are we talking around then yeah and then sort of left the music scene for quite some time so yeah. I think there's a whole gap in my history which has been these podcasts have been really helpful in filling me in on that whole piece of history there's sort of 15 years <laughs> there missing. where I kind of just played in a blues band on a weekend for a PVPA and uh did and uh you know brought the kids up and stuff you know um so yeah but this, so this is this is what I did this is a digital recorder it was a digital recorder at oh, the time yeah. obviously PCs weren't powerful enough sure. to do to do anything the so latency, what, I remember someone, a friend of mine, talked about it was horrendous. Yeah. Sound cards had to be upwards of a thousand pounds a piece, yeah. etc. You know, just to get them through the process. Right? Yeah. So I bought this VS. I think it was about two and a half grand. Jesus. I got it on credit, <laughs> as you do, interest-free credit <laughs> yeah. from from Digital Village. Yeah, I got an, I got a rigging bag of guitar on um, on HP from Sound Gear in Yarmouth. Oh, Sound, Sound Gear. Gear. Oh, oh, Mike, yeah. Mike Easter he used to run yeah. that. Yeah, good old boy. So yeah, I got I bought stuff on yeah everything was on tech back then. Oh yeah, well. that's, if you're a musician, that's what it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. So I got this roll, and it was, do you know what? It was bloody good. Yeah. And it had everything built in: compressors, EQs, mm. effects, and it was bloody good quality. And you didn't have to suffer the fact that oh damn, you can't, you know, you haven't got enough RAM to do another track, and mm. you're stuck. You you it could cope. Oh wow. Because it was built to cope with what it, its limitations. Right, right. And I actually went out and done some mobile recordings. Did you? Yeah, um, for the out. Rock Doctors. Can you remember the I Rock Doctors? I do remember the Rock Doctors, I yeah. done uh, the Rock Doctors. I'd done a band called Blister. Mm. 
uh, done a band called Full Circle. So would you say this is where you're sort of learning your learning your craft? Yeah. I take it you didn't go to any sort of um, sound engineering college or, or like, you know, you didn't do sound engineering nope. as a degree. I don't suppose nope. it was probably available no. back, yeah, back in, I, back in that day. It might have been, but because of the band, <laughs> I never went no. away because we were, we were obviously doing quite a lot of gigs. Yeah. And everything, and you know, you, you think you're going to be a rock star, don't you? Like, like we all do. And, and you uh, got into work. I forgot. I've been meaning to ask you. Do you have a day job? Yeah. Do you? Do you know, um, I'm dying to know what you do. You don't have to tell me. Tell me, mind me on funk before business. Co- I'd love before to COVID, know. I was a music teacher. Oh, real awesome. And um, worked at Stalham Junior School. Great. Done that for 17 years. Wow. There. So passing down the line. Before yeah, that, I worked on. for the Norfolk Music Service as Great. a guitar teacher. Well, you are an insane guitarist. I mean, I didn't know quite <laughs> how good until we saw you down because obviously haven't, we haven't bumped into each other too many times. No. You know, and I know Raucous were good, but until you just said, I really didn't realise that was your band. <laughs> and then when I saw you down the uh, Jolly Sailors last weekend, cracking out "Sweet Child of Mine," <laughs> and not just doing like, the main riff, which is hard enough, God, I know, but then improvising the solo with two-handed tapping as well was something else mate yes. well, when you've played it that many times you've got to do something yeah but keep it interesting yeah. that's like I, I changed the words to a lot of songs and people like that's not the right, right words and I'm like look okay. I've sung that song 50 million times so I'm going to change it yeah. just to see if people are listening because you'll say it and you'll, sure, the sure. people who are listening like, you he just yeah. said something rude in there <laughs> so uh, yeah so I got lost where we were. So we we're using this this road. You see, sort of learning your craft on the on the yeah. road, sort of um, getting live. Just doing bands. live recordings for yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the Rock Doctors one. A lot of people today still say that that is one of the best live recordings ever. That really? They, yeah, that they'd ever done. So can I ask you something about live recordings yeah. quickly then? Because a friend of mine said that when you hear live albums. Um, like by by professional by the big boys and stuff like that. There's only certain parts of it that are from the actual live gig, and they overdub later. How much? How much of that is? I mean, I take it you weren't doing that with the rock doctors back in the day. You weren't no, saying, no. "Oh, right, okay, we'll over-record the rhythm guitar and redo the redo." <laughs> See, I think now it's easier with people using Kempers, right? And you know all this. VST so, so stuff. What, what's what's a what's a Kemper without getting too far okay. down a rabbit hole? So what, what is that? I, I've is, heard the name thrown around it, a bit. It is one of my uh, desert island bits of kit. Mm-hmm. Um, that that came about by accident. Um, I was using a Line Six Pod mm-hmm. for playing guitar. I remember when they came out. Digital yeah. Revolution. They were. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it was Academy of Sound at the time, or what they called Carlsberg. They had a thing where um, if you got up early in the morning and got to the shop at nine o'clock mm. they had two at a really discounted price right so i got there to get the kidney bean one can you remember? remember that little red one yeah yeah um something ridiculous i think they're like 250 new mm. but they had two going for a hundred pound mm. so i was like right i'm getting up there so i got one and i i fell into the line six kind of trap mm. and really got into their stuff yeah and to think of it now then it wasn't as good as everything is now. So it's a digital lamp modeling in its yeah, earliest days. And you could tell. Yeah, yeah. You and could was tell. Like, I mean, the, so the Valve guys, you know, we know, all know that the Valve two, two um, Valve guys are never going to change. We know that. Yeah. And uh, to be quite honest, I'm a bit on a fence because I'm still sort of listening to stuff like that. But I've heard some digital stuff, especially in, in, in you know, in the in the patch bays in DAWs that make me go. Mm, really? Can you can you tell? Can you tell? Does it matter? Yeah. You know. <laughs> so, I, I was into that, and I. I then got um, a Line 6 
to gig with, I got a Line 6 Flexi Tone, mm. which was like their amp version of the kidney bean, mm. uh, which was quite good. Then I upgraded to their flagship amp, which was the Veta, which was the tits at the time. Um, and I was gigging with that for years. Even had a Line 6 Variax guitar, mm. and I went down to the factory. Did you get a Line 6 tattoo in any of this as no, well? No, I have no tattoos. <laughs> so, you don't put a bumper sticker on a Ferrari. No, no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I was really into their, their stuff because they were obviously innovating what was to come. Mm, mm. And we'd done a gig. And I can't, was it? I'm trying to think where we'd done the gig. And the amp just packed up. Oh, God. Um, and I was like, oh. I managed to get through it because you could obviously DI out of the box. So the actual speaker stopped mm. working, but the DI was working fine. So, so I managed you stuck to get, it into the PA. Yeah, off got, got through to the gig. Yeah. Rung line six up and said, look, my amp's broke. Mm. Every now and then they'd service it for me anyway. I said, look, it's broke. I need to send it to you, but I've got some gigs coming up. Can you do it? And he was like, well, we might be able to if we've got the part. I was like, what? He's like, well, we've stopped making them. And certain parts are now becoming obsolete. So I was like, damn, this, the vetter is now going to go to amp heaven and, <laughs> and I've got to find something else. And I was teaching guitar to a lad who, um, he's a Lowestoft boy. Mm. And he, I said, oh, he, I got him into line six as well. And he said about this Kemper. And I was like, what the hell's this Kemper? Never bloody heard of well, it. Well, it sounds to me like you were pretty much, you were fairly on top of your tech. Like, you know, you had to, you were sort of, you know, in touch with what's going on, had your finger on a pulse, and to be thrown a curveball about a piece of kit you went not heard of yeah. must have been disturbing, right? And he was like, just YouTube it. And I remember YouTubing this, they were in, uh, I think it was like Nam or something like that, that they were showcasing this amp. And they the had music a, show, not Vietnam. The, yeah, not Vietnam, yeah, the music <laughs> show. And... They had this Mesa Boogie amp that they were profiling. Okay. And so switching between. Is... So what they do, they're literally sucking the soul out of the amp. Right, so they're just making it so it sounds it. like that. Yeah. Okay, it's got cloning. So it, it takes a snapshot of the setting of that amp at the time. Okay. So it doesn't necessarily interact the same as the amp. Mm -hmm. But let's say, for example, you've got your sound, you think, whoa, that's awesome, that, that's yeah. our sound. You then put a microphone in front of it. Yeah. Uh, do all this gubbins on the front. I have heard that profiling thrown around, that name thrown around. Never thought to ask what, what the hell it is. meant. Now and I know. it sends these like alien noises through the amp <laughs> and right. then through the microphone, obviously analyzes it yeah. and copies the amp. And what they had, they had this mess of boogie mm. and they were going A, A B in from it. Right. And I know it was on YouTube, but I, I was like, that sounds it, exactly the same, man. Really? You know? So this, if I if I'm understanding this correctly, this Kempner head uh, um, module, whatever it is, rack mounted piece of kit, I take yep. it. So that then samples an amplifier and then reproduces that amplifier yep. sound, whatever that amplifier might be. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. So a lot of the people who had these like vintage amp valves, but wanted to use them, but. Obviously, the more they use them, they're breaking down, and then it seems to me like the more I read about valve amps, they seem to have like like a, a bit in the middle of their lifetime that's perfect and the start is crap and the beginning the end yeah. is kind of crap and there's a bit in the middle where it goes sweet and then it goes shit again yeah <laughs> so people were then profiling these legendary amps that the mm. Beatles had used yeah. and daren't turn them on because 
the valves would go. Right. And they've got that actual sound. Right. So I was like, right, I'm going to have one of them. Well, you couldn't <laughs> demo one anywhere. Oh, God. So I was like, well, stuff it. I'm just going to gonna buy one. So <laughs> I, I brought one and I was just literally blown away with it. <laughs> it was just like, oh, my God, this thing is just incredible. And it's got mm. all the effects in. And uh, it was just just copied all the amps mm. that you wanted. But you didn't have the aggro of, you know, valves going. Mm. So I was like, well, okay. So I got one, used it live, and I was taking it in and out of this of my studio that I'd kind of made at home. Mm -hmm. So the the so the um the digital uh I had suddenly like, you know, made a home in a room in your house by this point. So this is the fledgling part of having a having a studio. studio. Yeah. So it started with a home studio that was yeah. for your own sort of bits and Just pieces. You, yeah, you haven't yeah. kind of got to think of this issue, right? So okay. yeah, that, it was kind of like bubbling. I was like, yeah. mm, this is pretty good. You <laughs> could get these great guitar tones yeah. direct. Right. And you had so much other options on there. Mm. So I was like, right, okay. But I'd had enough of keep taking it in week in, week out. So I brought another one. <laughs> so I had two. So one stayed at home. Yeah. One was my gigging one that obviously was packed away. Take it to the gigs, bring it in. Happy mm. days. And then uh, they kind of got me on the beta team, Kemper, because I was one oh, of the really? very first people to like, you know, start using them. Yeah, yeah. So they were sending me the new software to try out mm. and stuff like that, which was pretty cool. Awesome. And uh, <clears throat> some crazy stuff happened. And I then decided, right, in the studio, if we want to double track guitars mm. or, you know, make it sound like we've got two different amps, we need two Kempers. <laughs> but I didn't want to have to keep bringing my other Kemper oh, in and out. Yes, so I thought, stuff it, I'm going to buy another one. How many do you have now? She was skipped four. Four. <laughs> <laughs> so they then brought a floorboard version oh out. Oh, my God. And I was like, that's handy. I haven't got to have another rack yeah. and a pedal. I've just got a pedal. Yeah. So obviously I brought that one yeah. and all the other ones that I had, which were rack mounts, mm. are in the studio. That is an impressive amount of tech. And I'm always, you know, um, I think some people shy away from tech, but... Um, I think it's great if you know how to use it and if you use it po properly. I think it's tech for tech's sake is one thing, but you had a, an impressive, like, as far as it looked like it, a mean piece of kit when I saw you live, but it wasn't ostentatious. There wasn't, like, stuff, no. wires and, you know, antennas everywhere. It was clean. You knew what you needed it for, and that was that, yep. you know. and it's had the same sounds built in. I'm one of these people that I don't try, I don't tone chase. No, okay, right? really. Um, because... That opens up a rabbit hole, and you're, you're never. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, you, I speak you, to a lot of uh, in harmonica world. In the harmonica world, I have to say that harmonica sounds that we put together, that I initially put, and then and then you enhanced and and made demonic, to be <laughs> honest. Which I absolutely love, especially one of my track Methuselah. That went absolutely mental. Um, harmonica players, I can imagine getting awfully snooty about it. Now, I know an awful lot of tone chasers, you know, not known personally, well, I do know some personally, but a lot. Harmonica tone is something that through amps, valve amps and stuff like that, there's a lot going on. And now I'm dabbling more into the guitar. You know, there's a lot of people, like you say, tone chasing. Okay. You yeah. can, it seems like you can throw a lot of money and a lot of time out down you, at that, you, right? You can, and I always believe that you, in, in the guitar world, 
you're not going to sound like Eddie Van Halen because mm. you're not Eddie Van Halen. Sure. Do you know what I mean? You it's could... in the hands. It's exactly. a conversation I keep asking people. And then, it's all in the hands. It's <clears throat> tone is in the fingers. Yeah. Mm. You know, I'd say 80% is. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you've got a good guitar player, mm. you know, as we get on to, you've had Mark from A. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Insanely I mean, some of these. guitarist, uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's when he told me he'd learned an Eddie Van Halen solo, I think when he was about 13 or 14, I was like, my God, yeah, really? <laughs> said, yeah, they had me join the band because I could play that solo by Eddie Van Halen. I was like, my God, yeah, well, no one's going to say no after no, that, are they? No, <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might have to tone it down because I've written this song with three chords in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, when he sends me some of his stuff for mm. his uh, like solo project, the radioized horse, yeah, he said he's going to once the solo, once the because um, we'll get onto this in a bit, the new studio is built. Yeah. <gasps> he wants to come and just uh, jam out a live thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. but it, what he sends me, I mean, he just records at home. Yeah, he's shit on guitar player, so yeah. it's already sounding good. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So you're you're taking something that's like eighty percent there mm. and just adding that next twenty percent to make it. 100%. Well, this is, I think when we're getting back to that bit where you said earlier, whereby people were that guy you knew was throwing away the CDs because the quality of the recording was crap, even though you were saying, oh, hang on, the band's great. Yeah. So they're sharing the, the, the ship for an eighth of the tar, kind of. That's for, right, for yeah. One, for one of a, you know, let's get Norfolk. <laughs> no, we didn't want to, but there's a saying, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, so the other thing that the Kemper does is you've got the same sound wherever you are. Right. So going back to that question about is how live is a live CD sure, nowadays, sure. if the band are using Kemper, or anything like the Kemper, because there's plenty out of there, you know, now there's all the competition and everything. Yeah. You, you know, whatever sound you used on that song, that's there, you plug it in, mm. and you can patch it in. Right. Do you know what I mean? And no yeah, one would yeah. know the difference, because mm-hmm. you haven't got to have the 4 by 12 you know, and the, <laughs> and the microphone all there in the same position, and you've sure, got to have sure. the crowd singing, because you're going to get some bleed. Mm. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're, they're overdubbing everything. If there's... Mm. What I think they normally do... Mm is they record lots of the gigs mm. and then... Cherry pick. Cherry pick the bit. Right, and let's right. say the guitarist made a mistake. Mm. They might be able because they'll record it with Pro Tools probably yeah. on the go. They'll take that bit out of there mm. and they'll put it in. That's oh, this this one you played at, I don't know, the O2. Oh, I see. was so really good. Stick it you know? into the, yeah, yeah. Stick it into the Wembley the set. T- yeah. yeah, yeah. And okay. no one's going to know. So right. I think that's probably what they would do. Right. Um, I wouldn't have thought that they'd, you know... Put it, do it all at home, but you never know. Do you? <laughs> you, you never, never know, know what these, what, you know? what, what magic, look what happens with Milly Vanilli. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you never know what wizardry these uh, no. engineers are cooking up at home. That's right. <laughs> so you, you know, so when um, we just touched on it briefly, so you're having a, you're having a whole studio built from the. Well, I say the ground up, it's the ground down. As yeah, well, yeah. Well, yeah. This the, the mad, mad moment. And um, see, when I visited your studio, and I have just the once to do uh, a Cherry um, record whereby I had to play the guitar solo on a Queen song because the the, the guitarist there couldn't actually play the solo. <laughs> and I don't mean you, I mean the other guitarist. I dare say you could have totally reeled it off. Um, and uh, it was in your garage, converted garage. garage. Convert- yeah, garage, so you yeah. bricked up the um, the uh, sliding door because you didn't yep. really want that rattling nope. around in the wind when you do nope. that thing. Nope. <laughs> so we've, uh, you've outgrown that a bit, have you? Yeah, so that, that came about. My wife got pregnant. Obviously, I couldn't make noise in the house mm. so in I moved garage. into the garage mm-hmm. and then um, I, I remember watching a Fight Star studio diary thing and there's a guy who I, I speak to quite regularly 
uh, called Carl Bown, who is like an engineer producer. Mm. And he'd done that album, or the, the album that they'd done the studio diary from, and it was in a shed. Okay. It was in his, he called it Treehouse Studios. And oh, he's now so this got, is like a YouTube or a, or a podcast? Yeah, just a YouTube something? that the yeah. band Fight Star. Fight Star, okay. you know, you, I'd never heard right, of him. I know, thought he was always something else. Right. So, Fight Star, ding, where? So you know Busted. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Charlie from Busted, right. when he left Busted, he went and done Fight Star, which is a bit like Rocky, okay. metally kind of like. Cool, cool. And they recorded this album. I don't think they've done all of it, but uh, this Carl Bowne, was on this video diary and they were recording in 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 a, in a shed but he'd done it out all nice mm. and uh I, it, I was just like i've got that album and that sounds like shit oh. yeah so it just came to me that you don't need to be in abbey road studios to get a good sounding <laughs> for sure yeah. album which is why you know what led me on to start a home studio which we're saying right now and i've recorded although you know i think most of the uh uh, wizardry of making it sound commercial is up to your good self with a mixing and mastering but as far as the actual recording go and we were sort of talking about this with uh, Sam Wilson the other day affordable mics affordable interface computers that can actually handle it and stuff like that so it's basically the environment that's yep. left isn't it and I, and I think the the player yeah. is, is <laughs> yeah. what makes it mm. you know like when your stuff comes to me mm. It's already pretty shit hot. <laughs> Bless you. know what I mean? So, so you've not got to take out the bum notes or auto tune. No, or <laughs> I can delve straight into mixing it, right. you know, and, and, and everything's like lined up, you know, everything's hitting on the beat and, mm. and stuff like that. So that already brings everything tight. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and you're not correcting things, and so what kind of corrections would you would you or would you expect you do? to do? Yeah, you yeah. Or do have it. you have you have you done without? You don't have to mention any names. <laughs> I've done. Um, so so that we talked about. I talked with Sam Wilson about gridding, and uh, yeah, yeah. Again, that depends on the genre, right? So if you've got like uh, something like Slipknot, mm. you want it gridding because if you've got all them real fast double kicks, yeah. They need to be gridded up. Right. You know, if you've got something bluesy, mm -hmm. it needs to have that. Slip behind a beat. A bit you know, swinging yeah. in and out. Yeah, yeah. It, it's all to do with genre. So right. when I'm doing gridding or anything like that, it's always genre dependent or necessarily the band. So mm. I, I might speak to them and say, you know, if they've recorded it or if they've sent it to me, mm. I might say, this track here, you know, it sways about a bit. Mm. Is that what you were after? Okay, yeah. And I might say, yeah, it's got to have that vibe. Cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Because it's their music. Mm. I'm not there to totally change it. Mm. But they might not be aware that it does that. Sure. Because they might have just recorded it. Yeah. And they've just got used to hearing it like that. So how far, when you say you're not there to sort of, you know, um, uh, make it, like change their music and stuff like that, how far do you go? Do you have, because I've spoken to some, en some engineers that will be like, nothing nothing crap's coming out of my studio it's badly played it's not, I'm not having it leave my studio I've done some session work for a chat but I, I played I played the harmonica part and I up and he was like no I can't have that go out of my studio or do is there is there a sort of like well that's what the band want that's what you know yeah, is, it, is, is there sort of a, a trade off sometimes and, with those things I always try and build a rapport with the musicians or the bands that I have in mm. um, one because I want them to come back well, and I've feel comfortable. Say, when I first sent you that first set of streams, I was absolutely terrified that you turn back and say, you fuck that guitar up <laughs> on the third song in the second chorus, mate. Do you want to send us another one? <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't. And I, was but, like, <laughs> and I thought, when I listened to it back, I thought, perhaps I didn't so bad then. <laughs> yeah, sometimes mistakes mm. 
in the music, when it's all playing, yeah. unless you've recorded it and you know it's there, yeah, yeah. Um, people won't hear it. A classic one of that is Half the World Away by Oasis. Mm. Listen to the end, right? and Noel Gallagher's picking the guitar, mm. and he glitches a couple of the picking notes. Oh, really? But no one ever mentions that. Sure, sure. But me being producer head, yeah, yeah. I listen to a lot of stuff that's going on, and when I hear it now, I'm like, yeah. here it comes, it comes, the, and he's, I think well, it's a C chord. Well, got to think about the, the pedal squeak comes to mind on uh, on Led Zeppelin's um, uh, since uh, since I've been since I've been loving you. It's like the pedal squeak on that, and then John Bonham in the background going, grunting, and so it's done by a human being. That's it. Yeah, it's done by a real band. And real people fluff the fluff. They don't pay perfectly every single no, time. No, that's right. Do they, you and, know? and another thing is like, I've had people who've wanted the slot. You know, when you slide on a guitar and you get that thing, the squeak. They yeah. want, that. and I'm like, that's part of the instrument. Sure, sure. Why do, you don't want to take that away? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a bit like I I, I use like a de-esser a lot to mm -hmm. you know quieten the s's and t's down. Mm -hmm. You don't want to take them out totally. You sure. just don't want them to. To be peaking and to be, yeah, to be the main focus yeah. of the song. I guess if they're a byproduct of it, then I guess they're okay. So it's about keeping a human element and playing a balance between what the band want and you know producing. A, I guess producing a good quality product for yeah. them because your reputation, Raul, is everyone I speak to. Oh, you've built a great reputation, which is why you have so much work these days <laughs> in the studio. And uh, it doesn't come from just chuntering out and getting people in, as, you, as, no. as the chap said there, as quickly as possible. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It, it, because I. I you know, I, I remember someone saying as well that I think you get 10 seconds on like Spotify or iTunes if mm. someone plays a song. Yeah. And then they'll skip to the next one. Sure. So you've got that. You've got. Oh, it's that got terrifies me. That it's like it's, it's like the pressure on to like you know capture them and stuff like that. And not all not all songs do that. Some songs like to build, don't they? Yeah. Some see, I think that, like that's the problem we've got with the music industry. But that's sure, that's, sure. that's another chat. Sometimes you know, I think <laughs> yeah, really, I think it's yeah. totally saturated now. Yeah. yeah. Because. It, you know, people can record in their bedroom and upload it with DistroKid to iTunes or whatever. Yeah. And you can get anything out there. Mm. But then again, there are some quality really are musicians. I mean, it's the stuff albums. you can't. The stuff that comes out of your studio from up from other guys. Like we had uh, Nathan from um, like Optimists and his solo album and stuff like that. And um, I've been doing a number with Coral Cross. I sent you with one as well. So we've got yep. another one we got queued up for you as well. I need to ask you a question about that after we've finished the podcast. Um, so yeah, there is there is some excellent high quality stuff. But like you say, because anyone and his anyone and his wife can do that, and you know and their kids and their dog and stuff like that can upload to, to Spotify, then. It's just absolutely well. Yeah, there's kind of too much for me. I almost like I I go down there's a record shop down there and all they are second hand. I like going through there because there's a limited amount I can flip yeah. through the rock section <laughs> and not be sort of you know um, bombarded. No, that's right. Thing, I mean, when you, in the days of CDs, yeah, obviously the kids probably don't know what they are nowadays. <laughs> but you had a CD and you put it in and you listened to the whole album. Yeah, and by yeah. the time you got to work, you'd listen to it and then on the way home you might have another album in there. Sure. Yeah. Where now you mm. know you can talk to Siri or whatever and say, play mm. this music and then. Once it's played that track, that mm. might, from what you've been playing before, play another track that you've never heard of. And I must admit that I've stumbled across some really good bands. Yeah, yeah. Where I've gone, like, after a night's gig, I've gone, Siri, play some music I might like. Mm. And it plays a couple of tracks that I know. And then suddenly there's puts this track in and I'm oh, like, wow. whoa, who the hell is this band? Yeah, yeah. You know? And, and I'm so like, the algorithm's working good for you on that front, though. Yeah. That's you know. brave. I am terrified. I like to... But at the same point, I'm, I liked an album because I could listen to it and discover songs by a band I liked because I've heard their single and I've heard other songs that are more obscure 
and uh, you know discover that about them. But um, I, I think I should get more more brave. Yeah, be more brave. Yeah. Do you miss like the track listing of, yep, of albums totally. and stuff Absolutely. like that? Yeah. Uh, the main thing I miss is finding where it was recorded. Yeah. Who yeah. mixed it? Well, I told you when I gave my last album, Mr. Smith, that you did for us. When I gave that to Chris Helms Seals, as absolutely first thing he did, he opened it up. He didn't even look at the cover or the back of it. He opened it up and he went, "Oh, mixed and mastered by Blaze Studios." It was the first thing he looked for. <laughs> so that, that's what I do, and that, yeah. I think that's probably from years ago mm. when I was into well say was I'm still into music production sure and you know I can normally tell who's mixed an album really yeah certain people who I who I really listen Mm. to um and look up to um going back to like that Carl Bowne who'd done the Fight Star album he does all like you know Bullet for My Valentine and stuff like that and Mm. I've chatted to him a few times regarding the studio build about some things Mm. because he's obviously he's doing work for labels yeah right. So he's pretty damn good at what he does. Yeah. The other guy who I spoke to regarding my studio bill was Matt O'Grady, who um, does like You Meet Six. Mm. Um, he's done Death of Arna, mm. uh, who came from Kings Limway. Oh know really? If you know them? Yeah, they're yeah. like they've done this album called Fools and Worthless Liars, and he produced it and mixed it. The production on it just really suited what they were doing, mm. and I got chatting to him on Instagram. Yeah. And I asked him about you know, some stuff and, you know, what he's doing here and he was really good at helping out. Mm. Um, I love that these musicians are being generous to you and I, I find, you know, working with you a very generous uh, musician, generous with your knowledge and generous with your time for coming here. But um, I think that, you know, any any sort of scene and any sort of, uh, uh, any musical progression has to happen if we if we just, you know, leave, it's those sound like guys who left their egos at the door and, well, probably don't have any and are just overjoyed to be talking about music and helping you out. Yeah, well, I, I remember talking to Carl um, via Instagram. We were talking about the speaker setup that's going to be in the new studio. The The guy who's designed it for me, Paul from uh, Wise Owl Acoustics, mm. that's what he does. Right. So um, it's it's all about having the best setup, mm. you know, and he was asking so me what So we're talking speakers, type of speakers, positioning, direction? Even the them. room. Oh, Desi- right. He's designed the whole Bloody the whole studio. Amazing. So it's totally soundproof. Yeah, yeah. It's got two rooms, hmm. um, tracking room and control room. Uh, and he's optimised the space that I could have Whoa. to be the best studio in I'm that so space. I'm so excited to see this thing that's half built and covered in tarpaulin at the <laughs> yeah. moment. Yeah, no, it's got a roof now. <laughs> it's, got it's, a got, roof. it's got a roof. Fantastic. The floor was laid Monday. Right. Um, and we're framing out on Monday, me, me and a friend, James Pendle, he's mm. in the guitarist for Millie Manders in the Shut Up. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, great, great band, yeah. He's pretty good DIYer, so mm. he's coming around, we've got the plans. Fantastic. And me being a crap DIYer, <laughs> so I'm obviously going to be making the cups Barely of tea, shelf and up. he's going to say, saw that bit of wood, and I'll <laughs> saw it there, and then we're going to build it. So, Fantastic. Um, the porch is being put in uh, two weeks' time, mm. and then... It'll be all the acoustic fabric. Mm. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, it's going to be done by August. Wow, that's, that's great. That's what I'm hoping, yeah, but yeah. there's been a few setbacks. Well, I know a lot of bands that'll be queuing up at the bloody door to get back in there. Yeah, I've, I've had bands <laughs> ring me. Is it done yet? Is it done yet? Because at, like, at the minute you're sort of, because you did my uh, mixing and mastering in your um, in your lounge, did you have it set up in there? Did yeah, you, yeah, I've got all my gear set up, set up in, in there. there. Well, I, I had to have it set up because I, you know, I'd, got to go to work, man. Well, got yeah. to work, and mm. you know, plus I love to to tweak and <laughs> to, to you, know, you know, while while the missus is watching, I don't know the chase or something. I can be in there, you yeah. know, tweaking or you know, 
practicing something new. Yeah. Let's try and get this drum sound. I mean, so, like, do you find yourself latching on to albums like just because they're well produced, even though it's not yeah. your cup of tea for music? Do you have yeah. any recommended listening for us? Because I do remember in the nineties, bit like Sound on Sound magazine, and they were like, you know, to have but anything Butch Vig, John Lecky, and stuff like that. Have a listen to them boys. You know, they seemed to me like they were a lot more into the into being uh, producers as far as you know what goes together musically with the uh, with the album than that. I mean, yeah, two questions there. What do you recommend listening to as far as good production? Do you have anything that really makes you go, ooh? Yeah, there's and the other one is, do you do any producing for people and go, do you think you ought to, well, you know, would it be an idea to stick some cowbell in there? <laughs> yeah, got to have a cowbell. Like, uh, more cowbell. More cowbell. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I do do some producing. Again, I normally discuss this with the band first. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't want to take over their sure. their baby. Like I say? if you've got a good idea and they're open to it, you go for it. A lot of people come to me who I record a lot because they like my production mm. uh, and they know I get the sound that they want. Yeah. So a few bands, two lads who I have worked with since my studio first opened, mm. uh, Glenn and Owen from Sons of Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were on the same bill as Emmy every Friday, yeah. They... Um, have used me forever. They were actually the first people ever in my studio. Is that right? Yeah. Um, Glenn and Owen, they came over. They were in a band called Game Plan. Mm-hmm. It was like a covers band. They'd done a few originals. And they came over and recorded. And they were they were pretty chuffed with how it sounded. And from then on, mm. they ring me up. They were actually in the other night doing a new song. Great. Um, because I'm, I know how they want a sound. And so this is a long-term working relationship yeah. now, isn't so it? They... And I've got to say, you know, third album of mine now, we're, we're in a long-term working relationship. And yeah. I think this is great about you and, and the way you work as well as you do build that rapport. And, yeah. and I noticed there was one thing on one song and I didn't ask you to do it. And there's a little echo on um, Domestic Bliss. I'm thinking lately, lately. And at, at first I thought, what's he doing? And then it was like, that is awesome. That is like the best thing I've heard. I, I wouldn't have thought of that in a million years. Can't be, be and, it, delayed and it makes me kind of wish I'd gone back and asked you for more suggestions for the previous two, and I'll definitely be asking for more on those. Oh, well, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it's about the production thing or the producer, the producer role, yeah. as far as you know, song suggestions, instrumentation, orchestration, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's anything that like is that is sort of dependent on artists and so stuff. Yeah, people might might come with just like uh, I've had a few artists in who are just singers with guitars mm. who've got these great songs yeah. but they want to make them more poppy say or yeah. more, a bit more modern or perhaps they only play guitar and sing and don't, yeah. they don't, they don't know where to go or next MIDI or guitars or anything you know, like so they that. send me a clip on whatsapp mm. of them playing and singing and I'm like whoa that's pretty shit hot mm. and I get an idea mm. and then they come to me and you know they bust out the chords and the vocals yeah. as like a scratch track yep, yep. and then we build the song from there and again that I only do that if the artists want me to do sure. that so you have like MIDI capabilities keyboards yeah, and obviously like you're that. an incredible guitar player I noticed there are quite a few PRS guitars on your yeah. wall are you a little <laughs> bit of a fan yes or is yeah, it yeah. five on there I think it's, it, it's three it's three, three is yeah. there oh, well I don't know uh, the wife wants you to know that he wants you to know that there's three <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> There's only three. Um, I've got the one I used to gig with, mm. which is my White Dave Navarro one. Mm. Uh, I've got my Custom 22, yeah. which was my one I had before that. Yeah. And then I've got my Standard, mm. uh, which I got when I was 15 for a Christmas present. Um, and had to uh, 
mum and dad put some money towards it. I was going to say, that's a hell of a lot of money for a Christmas present. I don't think all my Christmases no. when I was a kid together came to the price of a pure. I had to get on finance. <laughs> so I was 15, yes. so actually I didn't get on finance, yes, but dad did. Finance. And I had to pay him through gigs from Rawkers <laughs> monthly. For the gigs that he was getting. Yeah, so he would get you the gigs and go, cheers then. Yeah, that's and like I the, pay that's like the, the government, wasn't he really? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> certainly was that takes dad tax to a whole new level yeah. dad tax where your kids get sweets yeah. and you got to go dad tax which means you've got to have some of the sweets for it haven't your dad's dad tax was quite cool really That's, yeah yeah you know he was like well you know he try and talk my mum into like she's like you can't have that much money for Christmas or birthday and the dad would like I was being 15 you can't yeah. get finance yeah yeah and it you know, I was like, Dad, I need this guitar. It sounds and he's so being he, a musician himself. Yeah. So he was, like, he was in, what bands was he in then? We'd know he was a singer. Stuff. A lot. Well, a lot of people come up to me and and know his band, but he mm. was in a he was a singer in a band called Pearly Brown. Mm-hmm. And so were we talking fifties, sixties ish? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, sort of around pubs and clubs, or was yeah, he a bit pub, more of a? No, yeah. he was pubs and that. Because he, up your way, there's um, there's also lots of holiday camps and stuff like that. Yeah, I, no, my, I don't think he'd done holiday camps. No. They'd done r- some real cr- crazy stuff because they used to like dress up and oh yeah, and just he was very surreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Apparently they were quite popular yeah, in the yeah, day from yeah. what I've heard. So he was very supportive of your music from a young age yeah. and stuff. So like, like Buster that, yeah. James. Yeah, yeah. Their band, he was in a band called Crow, I think, wasn't he? Um, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I, I don't know Buster too much. And I think they, my dad supported them. Mm. And so, yeah, you know, if you if you mention Pearly Brown to the older musicians. Sure, they would know. The more mature musicians. Yeah. Oh, wait, I remember that band. I love how you swapped old for more mature. Because, more mature. Yeah, well, we are more mature That's now right. as well, aren't we? You know, so I obviously wasn't born at the time, so <laughs> he's obviously in his early 20s. Oh, so, uh, you know, to have a musical house to grow up in must have been awesome, you know. It'd been quite inspirational as well, right? Yeah. A good record collection. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. just go through my dad's record collection and play um, Sex Pistols. Yes. Um, he, ha- he had the Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction album right. on tape. Oh, yeah. He got it from a petrol station. Can you remember when they used to sell tapes? <laughs> well, I remember they used to give away C90s with so many gallons of petrol. <laughs> and my dad would then copy albums because um, although my parents weren't musical and they, they never played an instrument, I mean, I'm the first family, the person in my family for generations as it goes back, God knows I've looked, to play a musical instrument. But they were massive music lovers. And uh, my dad would record his LPs on a tape for me, especially after after he left. He took his record collection with him and be like, this, 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 which is where the first time I heard Jimi Hendrix and stuff like that was on a C90 cassette from a garage, otherwise I would probably not have discovered it till I was older. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I think it does have a, have a huge influence on you. And um, so, yeah, well, that's what I wanted to know. What, who's producing good, well-engineered albums? Who do you like? Um, he, he, from any era. Any era. Any era, more or less. I know it's a, probably a big question. It, there's a few that, obviously, I, I go to, and when albums are released or songs, I'm like, whoa, that person done it, so I love listen. Mm. You've got Mutt Lang, mm-hmm, done all mm-hmm. Def Leppard. Yeah, yeah. Brian Adams. And the great thing about him is, is you won't find anything on YouTube of any videos of him doing doing it. You've literally got to listen to the albums. You've, yeah, the there's no... The pudding is in the eating. Well, yeah, but, you know, you can go on there, can't you? And you can... There's videos of people in the studio with mm. certain producers doing stuff. There's nothing of Mutt Lang. Really? And there's lots of rumours flying around, like that he... Um, like Def Leppard and stuff like that, that he recorded string by string. <laughs> whether it's true. Do Obviously, you think that's plausible? I don't think that's practical, but... No, but I remember, because he'd done some Brian Adams stuff, mm. and... I watched some Brian Adams videos and he talked about how 
they were recording a song, I can't remember the song, mm. and Matt Langer said, right, go in there and do your vocals, which mm. he did. He said, we're doing the chorus, so yeah, you're going to sing it 20 times. Mm. So Brian Adams thought, 20, bloody hell, and sung it 20 <laughs> times. And then uh, when he came out, he said, yeah, that's the left side done, now you've got to do 20 for the right side. You know, well, I remember the, the one that stuck out for me was Dusty Springfield, who would record, like, a, the legend is that she would record a syllable at a time. Yeah. Now, I've even seen the Pet Shop Boys when they, they were talking about it because the song they did with, with her, where she went in, she went, Matt, and, well, okay, start again, reel it back. <laughs> so, well, I have heard that with Justin Bieber as well. He'll, oh, really? he'll do word by word. You know, there's loads of rumours going <laughs> for around. For sure, yeah, yeah. You, you never know. But it makes for fascinating, you know. Oh, I think a lot of it is just the hype to create, as well. To create a sort of myth yeah. and a legend around these people. So you've got Mutt Lang. Lang He's yeah. one of my faves. done a lot of Nickelback stuff. I'm really into, like, mm. Nickelback production. See, I was talking about somebody why Nickelback gets such a load of crap these days, because I always thought they were freaking awesome. They write great songs. They do, don't they? Yeah. Popular songs that do soundtracks for movies and get to number yeah. one. And we're in the mainstream when, at a time when basically rock bands were on the decline. I wish I'd have wrote Rockstar or <laughs> How You Remind Me. <laughs> how You Remind yeah. Me is a legendary track. Yeah, so yeah Matt Lang he's like one of my go-tos David Bendiff who'd mm. done the Paramore album Ooh, Riot yeah 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 uh, that became a staple mm. in like engineer world of man that drunk kit because yeah. yeah. I remember the Benz by Radiohead being one uh, that everyone said that, that's, that's that's the one the have you done that I'm not sound, sure who done that I think that was John Leckie I'm not entirely right. sure but um, that was one that was like sound on sound would or like um, my mates had what hi-fi magazine and they would test the hi-fis with the bends <laughs> to see what it's added like, yeah, yeah yeah see I, I always put the Paramore Riots album on mm. like Misery Business because I know what that sounds like so if I'm testing speakers or anything right. like that I know and that's what you know, it is and that, yeah. that became a staple for everyone was chasing that snare sound right um so, yeah, I spoke to David a few times on Instagram, actually. Is social media great for that? Oh. Can you imagine, like, you know, back in the days before, like, you know, I'm talking mid-90s or even before then and stuff like that, if you could get, look at your albums that we talk about, even Radiohead Depends, and then get hold of that engineer back then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wet, wet your pants, wouldn't you? Oh, be, yeah. It would be like, you know, the moon. It would yeah. be amazing. Crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, you've got David Bendiff, uh, another one who who produces some great stuff, is Jason Perry from yeah. A. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, mm -hmm. me being a massive A fan when I was a kid, mm -hmm. which was kind of done me in when obviously Mark emailed me to mix some of his tracks. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, hang on a minute, man. You never meet this, your heroes, no. but when you meet that guy, he is amazing. Yeah, lovely, he was lovely like, chap. he emailed me, and I, I, remember, I was in Florida when he emailed me. Oh, yeah? I was, you know, God knows what the time difference was, but I, I remember... A couple of drinks by the pool. No, I, I woke up in the morning and I was always the first one to wake up from the family because yeah. they're knackered after all the parks. And I yeah, right. just checked my emails while everyone's still asleep and it was like, Mark Chapman. I was like... And he was like, you know, I've got these ideas, mm. you know. God knows, I think he got my number through um, or heard of me through um, uh, Andy Guyton who does the guitars. Yeah, he does excellent I know guitars. He he made guitar. Guitar. as well, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, he, he, does the Bri guitars. he does the Brian Mays Red Special and stuff like that, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Great... My old guitarist from the Harpoon Blues Band has got um, number nine of guitars that he made. Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah. He's a great luthier mm. and he's awesome at like servicing guitars. Yeah. So he's looked after my guitars and I think I, I think he passed my number on to Mark or whatever. I'm, I never mm. asked Mark. but um, So you've got Jason Perry. He's yeah. done some great stuff. And one of the albums that just done me in was Matt Willis from Busted. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
people might be listening to this. Yeah, right? like, he's mo- busted. He McFly, keep... what's yeah. he mentioning these? So I remember because they get a reputation for being a boy band holding guitars, don't they? Yeah, mm. it's just like well, busted split up. Matt Willis done this solo album, and um, it's really poppy. But it's so bloody catchy. And the production, mm. it's typical prop production, is just yeah. sounds the tits. Yeah. And I remember a friend of mine said, Jason Perry produced that. <laughs> and I was like, what, from that? He's like, yeah. And I was like, oh my God. It's diversified. That is one of my <laughs> albums that I use um, for referencing. Yeah, yeah. So stuff like, obviously, the Paramore Right album. Mm. Um, depending on, you know, what you don't use that for someone who's doing acoustic stuff. But, sure. you know, always use some reference. As I've said before, Carl Bown, who mm. does all like Bullet for My Valentine mm. and stuff like that. Um, what other stuff? stuff? Uh, Michael Jackson stuff, so Quincy oh, Jones. Oh, Quincy Jones. You see, now I was going to ask you that, that the questions are brewing as, as you're talking, really are. So the, let's, t- let's talk those classic, those classic engineers, producers. So uh, Quincy Jones, um, George Martin, obviously. Yeah. Do you, do you put any sway in George Martin's um, the uh, obvious oh, legendary, yeah, yeah, yeah. legendary status? It's all right if you don't. You don't no, have yeah, to. You, con- got you don't to, have to. Con- you've got to listen to Beatles <laughs> on headphones because there's so much going on. Left and right, and how how he put things so it doesn't all. Because I think a lot of albums just it's kind of got to sound like everyone's sitting on the drums lap, and I think um, kind of almost shy away from that left right pan. But for him, it was literally how the recording equipment worked, right? So, yeah, it's, uh, you're in the room with the yeah. band then, aren't you? Because yeah. of the way the panning goes and stuff like that. So, um, and who's the other one? Oh, um, the Wall of wall of Noise. I've forgotten his name. Likes to shoot people. Oh, Phil Spector. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Would you have yeah. been so arsed off as, as uh, like, there was that um, John Lennon had sent that Let It Be album off for sparkling up? No. No? No. I, th- yeah. I mean, every everyone's ears are different, aren't sure, they? Sure, sure. You know, um, again... Some people, you know, they come and work with me mm. and I'm not the right person to work on their stuff. Either I know mm. or they know. Okay, well, that's that's very mature. That's really quite kind of very professional way of looking at it as well, isn't it? Oh, yeah, you, know? you can't, you know... You say you can't, but people get awfully passionate about their music and kind of funny. So I think that's really professional. I think it's really kind of cool to say, that, you know, with, you know, the yeah. same kind of work in here. You know, I've had a few people mm. who are into rap ring me up. Oh, uh, okay. And, and, and that's not my genre at all. Sure. And I wouldn't want to have a go mm. at trying to do that because one, I'd probably balls it up, <laughs> and I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it. Mm, mm. So I'd be thinking, well, hang on, you know. Obviously, I'm more of the rock, mm. acousticy stuff. So, you know, and, you know, some people I've had in the studio and I've worked with, and I know myself that I'm not the right person for their sound. Yeah, yeah. And vice versa, they've mm. come and they've done an album mm. and they've gone somewhere else and had it done somewhere, or not sure. that same album, but their next album, they've mm. gone somewhere else. But it sounds like this whole, this whole this whole project of your studio is driven from your passion. Oh, yeah. particular this, genre this, of music anyway. The studio is not, it's never been to make money. Mm. And I've said this to people, um, you know, I don't, I don't charge mm. stupid prices and um, because it's, it, the whole, aspect of this Blaze Studios when it started was never about Well, we go money. back to that first statement of when you walked in that studio and went to get you boys in it, out of there as quick <laughs> as possible. We come back to that. So that was where the ethos of the whole studio yeah. started. And you've managed to keep that, you know, because I guess it must be tempting. Someone wants to go, well, I'll give you two, you know, I, I want to book you out for a month or something like that and produce my, um, I don't know, um, EDM, 
yeah, rap rap album, you'd be yeah. like, well, well, mate. Yeah, and I, I'd be <laughs> like, look, to be honest, you know, it's not my thing, and I, I wouldn't want to take that on. Sure. One, I wouldn't want to take your money for doing that, mm-hmm. because that's not... Well, I, think, I guess it then puts a pressure and opens a, a can of worms whereby you've then got to produce something that your heart's not in, you don't fully understand, and it's exactly. like you're doing it literally just to pay the mortgage. Yeah. And, uh, you know, fortunate or, I might say fortunate, you've engineered your position so that you don't have to. No, that's right. And, and that's the great thing about it. It's like when I take on gigs, I don't. if someone says to me, oh, do you want to play down a local? They want that, you know, it's 200 quid, it's good money. Well, I don't like that pub. And so they don't, they only have covers bands in there, so they're not going to appreciate my you know blues rock original music thanks so i don't want to no you don't it's a great position to be you want to be because that kind of then just make you pissed off about it really. <laughs> yeah, do you know what i mean yeah resentfully think, yeah. strumming out the chords while four people are talking at the bar yeah you think <laughs> what, what are we doing you what know are doing but, but yeah. yeah um what i think oh, another one little question that pops up i mean i'm a big i'm a secret country and western fan especially country music which is as um as my research shows me that it's probably the most popular genre on yep. on the bloody I've heard on as well. the bloody planet. I mean, you look at Spotify stats for country music listening, and then um, you know the next genre down, which is, I guess would be pop or singer songwriter, and the and the distance between those two lines of statistics is vast, yeah, like an absolute chasm. And um, you know, I got into like Luke Combs and uh, Cassie Underwood and a couple like that, and the production Nashville Music City. There's a recording studio on it in every house, and it's that and the other. The production when I listen to that album compared to so uh, so take for example like a Luke Combs, uh, what you see is what you get, and then listen to it straight afterwards um, any of the modern bands I've been listening to. The production for his is so upfront, like so so big. And he's not playing any more instruments. Uh, it's is it all in the production? Because it's just in that waveform being pushed to max. It's just in, in, in. There's lots of tricks. Sure. There's loads of tricks um, to get certain sounds um, mm. that you either learn on the way. Mm. You hear maybe someone's done that, and mm. you, you you ask them. So um, you know, I've asked some of my favourite, you know, yeah, engineers yeah, or so producers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they've told me, uh, I had a chat with Jason once, Jason Perry, mm. uh, when we was at an A gig. And he was telling me when he was in America recording an album and some of the tr- tricks that he was doing, mm. you know. And I was like, whoa, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, well, bloody hell, that's a bit strange to do that. But yeah. if you've got the time and you've, mm. you've got the studio for and a month. experimenting with it. You yeah, can yeah. experiment. And then, mm. you, you know, sometimes things happen by accident. <laughs> so, you know, or you stumble across something, you know, yeah. you, and you think, whoa. But I always find that I need to remember these tricks to use because I think, whoa, this is a really good trick, but yeah. it doesn't suit what I'm working on now. I but need I to re- need I know, for another yeah. time. Yeah, and then... Yeah, yeah. That other time comes and you've forgotten. Forgot about you, it. Shit, I could have put that trick in you there. You need yourself a little apprentice or something, yeah, don't yeah, you? Yeah. 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 The kids well, looking interested in sound engineering. I'm, tr- I'm trying to train my son. Well, I'd like to. That's yeah. where the name Blaze Studios come from. See? Oh, so right. it comes from my son. Oh, his name's Blaze. His name's Blaze. Cool. So he was kind of born when I moved and made my studio. And I was mm. like, well, what am I going to call what it? What a lucky boy. Does he know how lucky he is being born to a recording studio? Yeah. Oh, my God. So... He's called Blaze, so I was yeah. like, right, I'm just going to call it Blaze Studios, mm. you know, and hopefully, you know, when I'm too old and deaf, he can take <laughs> over and that. But do you do things to protect your hearing? Do you like? Do you, I, I don't. I didn't notice if you had earplugs. Yeah, in I'm using ear monitors like yeah. um, now, which has made a hell of. I mean, a you're not a particularly loud, loud band anyway, and stuff no, like but, that. 
yeah. are you, that's made a hell of a difference. Mm. One, two, at the end of a gig, yeah. I can still hear people. So, mm. and plus two, you can actually hear what you're doing at a gig now and <laughs> hear everyone's never mistakes. Used <laughs> never, never used, never used it. I couldn't, I couldn't play about it. Really? Man. Take a while to get used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, me, the drummer, and the bass player, we all went up to. Uh, custom in monitor's place mm. in London way I think oh, wow. and Paul the guy there he moulds your ears send them wow. away so they're right comfortable yeah they? he's got like a demo versions of all the models mm. so you can play them and see what they so they fit in your ear they've got Amazing. like them in universal things all oh, these ones a bit too toppy for me Tinny, and then yeah, yeah. yeah oh these ones a bit too bass and you find yeah. the ones you like yeah you know and mm. and they're where you go but it, it, it is a something you have to get used to. Right. So, you know, just yeah. kind of go with it. Don't mm. put them in and think, oh, I can't do this. Right. And then once it you've played with them, you won't... You won't go back. You won't go yeah, back. Yeah, I do, I do hate other loud musicians <laughs> when I'm playing in a band. Yeah, especially being a you know, harmonica player, just get drowned. Totally. And they just don't understand that if I go any louder, it'll feed back. Well, you'll all have to turn down. Well, I can't. We had a drummer that just was worried about his hearing. So instead of going to in-ear monitors, which sounds like a better solution, he would just get more and more um, heavy um, earplugs to the point whereby they were practically noise cancelling. So he'd hit as hard as possible? Oh, yeah, and he had no idea how loud he was hitting. Like, you literally, you know, mate, up tearing the windows out, hitting the crap out of your kit, and none of us can be heard. Well, you'll have to turn up. I'm not putting these out and worried about my hearing and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but if I could just ask you about, about the Greyhounds, have you um, always been in that band? Is that band there before you? Did you inherit that, it? Is it your uh, band? That's not my band. Oh, um, right. It's the drummer's band. Is it? Um, but he's, he's... I used to watch them when we was in Raucous. You do? We used to support them. Because, like, as the floating Greyhounds, so apps, everybody, everybody I speak to knows, no, Greyhounds are playing down so-and-so. <laughs> Is your dad still getting your gigs? No, but he gets the gigs. <laughs> but gets but um, gigs. my dad comes to the gigs. Sure. Um, but yeah, so that I stumbled on that by accident. So we we were in Raucous. We we're doing quite well. Mm. Um, we were supporting the Greyhounds yeah. or doing a double headliner at the. I used to work with Miguel, makers. by the way. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. He was ad sales at Microfresh Printers. So where I was yeah, so he he joined Raucous after me. Oh, did he? So he so we was. Four of us in Raw because there was me, Phil, Daryl, mm. and Richard or Payne as everyone knows him. Mm. Payne was the bass player, Daryl was the drummer, and Phil was the other guitarist, and I was guitar and singing. Mm. And that came about by accident. Right. Um, so Daryl the drummer, he wanted to be in a band, and I remember one day we were going to Norwich in my parents' car, and my dad said something about a band, and Daryl, he couldn't play drums, he no. said, I want to be a drummer. That was that. And I said to him, yeah, yeah, whatever, mate. Well, you learn the drums, knock on my door, yeah. and I'll I'll be a guitar player. Probably about three weeks after that. I've had my first lesson. Whoa. And I was like, so we, you know. Had you been playing guitar at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. I'd already been playing guitar. My dad made me learn guitar. Did he? Yeah, at so 10. You were, this was like, wow, forced music. Yeah, forced musically. My dad Amazing. said, we all have to do things in life that we don't like. And you'll learn guitar and you'll thank me later. I, I love your dad. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I wish I had that strength for my own kids. Honestly, as soon as I say to my daughter, you know, do you want to learn the piano? No. Yeah. Starts crying. Well, I used to cry. Yeah, because yeah, I used to do, I've done classical guitar. <laughs> well, there's a lot of it going about because Sam Wilson said he, he was eight when he was taken to his first drum lesson and he cried as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I remember my dad had booked me in for acoustic or classical guitar lessons. Oh, no. Well, well that you, would make me cry, yeah. Yeah, when you're 10... <laughs> 
all you want to do is play, you know, something well, everyone know. knows. From the age of, I mean, I begged my parents for a guitar from the age of about five. I begged them, and it was it's a week's wages, it's weeks weeks wages, and then it was well if we buy you one, you won't learn a plant, and that'll be a pissing waste of money. Yeah. So anyone who's heard this podcast, I heard my boring you know bloody I was a poor boy shit shit story before but yeah but dad was real support even then forced you into it so you classically trained on this thing then yeah yeah so I had lessons I would explain a lot with a guy <laughs> called Richard Wiley in Gorston I, who, I, who I, was, I know of Richard yeah he's the trained tits a friend on... of mine called I was in a folk band with a guy called Ben, um, ben and uh, he was trained by him and he was incredible oh Richard Wiley mm. shit hot guitar player but yeah. when you're 10 mm-hmm. you don't care you don't understand that until you get older how, sure, sure. how good someone was at doing what he did yeah and I remember my mum my saying, um, you know, he don't want to go to guitar lessons anymore. He, he hates going. My mum used to bribe me with McDonald's. She said, on the way to <laughs> guitar lessons, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll have a McDonald's. And um, <laughs> my dad just said to me, we all do things in life we don't want to do. And he's learning a guitar and he'll wow. thank me one day, which obviously Right, I'm going downstairs after this podcast and telling my daughter <laughs> that she definitely needs to learn to play the guitar there. So I bought her a small-scale electric guitar and everything. She's got an electric guitar, keyboards. Obviously, you can see all the harmonicas that are laying around bloody everywhere. So, yeah, mate, that's a good philosophy. So that was there. that. And then I hated it. And my dad said, look, when you get grade three classical guitar, mm. I'll let you have um, rock guitar lessons as well. Mm. So I had rock guitar lessons with a guy called Ian Dybel from Yarmouth. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. know of Ian. Yeah. I don't know if I've he met caught him. Probably, quite a lot of people. Probably stumbled across him at a few gigs, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, after, him. he was in the glam rockers yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, the glam rockers ruled Yarmouth yeah. back in the day. So he, uh, he, he taught me rock guitar, done all the grades there. Mm. And um, yeah, that was just how that happened. Mm. So then we... Daryl turned up on the door and said he'd had his first drum lesson. Mm. So we'd done that. Then he knew Phil and Payne mm. from school yeah, and yeah. said, well, they, they can play guitar and bass. So my dad's like, yeah, they can, you can rehearse in the garage. Happy days. But we didn't have a singer. <laughs> All right. And we had yeah, a friend. You have a good-looking mate. <laughs> well, this is where it happened. Yeah, yeah. So, I've got a good-looking mate. He can yeah, be yeah. We all had this mate who was like quite in with all the women. Yeah, and we, definitely We, we said, do you want to be... You know, he was into the doors and doing all that. Oh, so he yes. was a bit, so thought, And we said, do you want to be in the band? And he was like, nah, nah, nah. So I was like, well, we can't just keep playing songs, you know, without any singing, because it's bloody boring. <laughs> so they they kind of said, well, you can sing a bit, Raul. You, why don't you sing until we find someone? Mm-hmm. Just for rehearsals. Famous last words, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And then, obviously, we never found anyone. <laughs> I ended up doing it. And then we gigged, got you know, support the Greyhounds. And then the Greyhounds, they kind of, um, the singer had kind of had enough. Mm. And I remember Buddy ringing me up and saying, look, we, we still want a gig, but, you know, our singer's kind of not doing it anymore, but we need someone to stand in. So mm. I was standing in with someone else. So when I wasn't gigging in Raucous, mm. I'd go do the Greyhounds gigs, and when the yeah. ones I couldn't do, this other chap would do. Yeah. And Raucous started, like, having... You know, the drummer decided, drummer's nanny died and left him some money. Uh-huh. And he wanted to go to Drum Tech right. in London. And it kind of started slowly falling apart. Well, you know, you would be you're going from being young men to being young adults. And life yeah. happens, as we all know, it. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I remember Buddy say, saying to me, do you want to join the Greyhounds? And uh, I was like, Yeah. But they had another guitarist as well, see. So I, I was just singing, not guitaring. Oh wow! And then, he, but he said, um, "What would I? What would you do if, um, if Carlos didn't turn up one day at a gig? Would you be able to sing and play?" And I was like, "Well, there's, 
I know some of the songs you do, yeah, yeah. and some of them I can sing and play, and some mm. of them might be a bit. But I think we could, you know, we could blag our way through a gig. Yeah, yeah. And the next thing, uh, we played at Allen's in Yarmouth, mm, and bar, uh, yeah, Carlos yeah. didn't turn up. Oh. Um, he'd gone to see Meatloaf, I think. <laughs> well, that's a fair excuse, I'll let him so, off now. That's a good show. So we done the gig and got through it, and then that was it. Carlos got sacked. And we ended up, we were a four-piece, and then the keyboard player left, mm. and we just we were a three-piece, and then I've just been... You've been doing it ever since? Yeah, doing it ever since. It's wow. just second nature. So have you taken over the promo now and stuff like that? Or do you say, but he did that? So he does all that. Job, we, have, we have a... We, we say it's not my department. So. Oh, wow. Oh, this is I, good. So this I, is, I was going to say, a, a working band like that, because I've had old Lee Chapman here from The Invisible Band yep. and, and um, Austin Beats, and uh, yeah, that has to work in a professional manner with jobs divided up and stuff like that well yeah so yeah. but he does all the gigs mm. does that um i do setting up the pa and the sound obviously sure sure um, yeah, yeah. and anything technical mm -hmm. um the bass player does the lights yeah and everything like that and anything like soldering or anything taking oh, he's something good at that, is he? yeah oh, he's pretty good, good at that yeah. so and you know if something happens like we were deciding to put our lights somewhere else the other day but he said i said that's not my department <laughs> <laughs> You know, and he'll do the same thing. Like if someone says something about, oh, the bass drum's not working, he'll say, not oh, that's not, not my department. <laughs> so, well, you know, it's worked for a long while. How long have you been in the format you're at? Though? Oh, 17 years, I wow. think. Wow, so it is, it is well. And like I say, you've got gigs coming out of the, out of the uh, out your arse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what you got coming up gig-wise then? Lots of weddings that Lots have been postponed yeah. from COVID. Oh, wow. Okay. But obviously, we're meant to be pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah. And then, obviously, people had to cancel them, so they're mm. all... They're all now stacking out and stuff yeah. like that. Wow. So oh, that's, that's pretty good. cool. Yeah, yeah, because they're but, not as pay as the weddings, aren't they? Yeah, it's just, you know, main focus is getting this studio up and running. <laughs> <laughs> well, fingers crossed for August, mate. I mean, I'm hoping, you know, I'm going to try and drag Danny R down there. I don't think it'll take much dragging. No. Really, he loves your work. We've well, still got an EP recorded that you mastered for, mixed and mastered for, so we're going to release soon as well. Oh, cool. So, yeah, we think about coming down and just, like, booking you out and just sitting around and doing an album and new stuff. Well, you know. I, I, I've got this thing in my head that um, all the people who have kind of supported me through the mm. early Blaze Studios... Are going to get an invite to you know record for free. Oh, stop giving it away, Ralph. But it, it, <sighs> one, it's gonna, there's going to be some teething problems. Do you know sure. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I can't charge people. For you to test your gear. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? Well, you so, can, because I know it's going to be... The thing is, with a reputation being what it is, you know, I I trust you to run this, what I've got here, which is a Scarlett <laughs> 2i2 and a MacBook. <laughs> so it's going to be like that. Look, Sons of Mark were in the other week, and mm. they're, they're desperate to be the first ones in, in the new studio. They're, Glenn's already said that. He was like... <laughs> We want to be the first. And I was like, well, you were the first band in the original well, yeah, the right studio. Yeah, so yeah. when it's open, you will be there. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously all the the people who, who have used the old Blaze Studios will get the same rate. Because mm -hmm. rates are going to go up. Well, you know, um, it's got to pay for somehow. But another thing that I do, which is, I think, different to a lot of studios. A lot of studios um, charge by the hour or by day. Mm. I charge by the song. Do you really? Yes. So how does that work out if I've got a six piece and I want to record like maybe three songs and I start to, you know, send me the mix or do you send the mix? How would you have the band sit in on the mix? As nope. Well? Um, that, that, that's a good, that's a good one because, um, because then I mean, they could you be like, I've there. sat there like with a band and they've gone, oh, I think the snare drum's a bit this and you're like, what the fuck? 
are you talking about? Yeah, and it's probably and the, the drummer the engineer who says getting, that. Engineer getting redder and redder. Yeah, so know. it's normally, oh, the bass guitar's too loud. And yeah. you think, who said that? Oh, it's the bassist. <laughs> it's not the bassist, do you know what I mean? Or, you know, the guitar's too loud. You turn around, oh, it's the guitarist. It's not the guitarist, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, everything, yeah. if it's too loud, as someone, that's not that person's instrument. And yeah. if it's too quiet, it's the person's instrument who's so, saying yeah, it. Vocals are low, says the vocalist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Yeah, I charge by the song, and obviously mm. the more songs you do, mm. the cheaper it is. So if you come in the studio and record one song, yeah. you know, the ha I don't mean hassle, but mm. for me to set up all the studio and get it all right and mix one track yeah. is more time-consuming, really. Well, we talked about this do... before. We went down to, there was a place in, I don't know if you remember, it was, sort of, what was it, Rock Lobster or something like that in Southwold, Fat Studios, that was it, and half a day set up the drum kit and stuff. And it's like I sat as the singer, I didn't actually do anything <laughs> until, until the next day. Halfway through the next day. Yeah, yeah, where basically it was all on me then and I sang solid for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I see that's I wouldn't expect a singer to do that. Do they get infinite mixes and infinite time studio then until they're yeah, until they're right with it? Or is there a point that, or has that my, not happened? Yeah. Uh, the person the band or the musician has got to be happy. Mm. Because there's no point. Sure. You know, um, and they will get revisions and revisions. Mm. And like I normally say to you, your your mixes are there. Mm. Have a listen. Let me know any changes. I think in three albums, which is 36 odd tracks, I think there's only been twice. And one, I think I forgot to send you a stream. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, the harmonica is me. Oh, I didn't send you that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I charge by the song. Because, you know, if I'm working with a band, I'd rather record, work with a band that does 12 songs than two. Right, right. Because one, it's more enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and they can get more out of it as well. Mm. And I try and keep the price down. Mm. Again, because I don't want these youngsters who have great songs, who, mm. but they don't get to showcase it. You don't want them putting out that rough CD that a bartender goes, yeah. Yeah. not listening to that, that's you recorded know. in a sock. Exactly, <laughs> so it's all down to, you know, it's got to sound good. That's keeping the ethos of why you started in the first place, which is which is sometimes, I think, for a lot of people that start projects, difficult to remember, difficult to hold on to. But it sounds to me like, for you, it's not. It's, it's almost like in everything... That you that you're doing that ethos of well I'm not here to get you out as quickly as possible. <laughs> no, you want to help. You know, um, you have a you have a passion for for that genre and that music that what makes it sound good. Yeah, yeah, it is to do with the passion. I mean, just going back to the Sons of Marks lads, um, they literally they they'll message me like they did the other day. They've got a couple of ideas, so they haven't got the whole song done. They've okay. just got these ideas. You're that um, far involved with them now. You're like a band member, oh, mate. Yeah, I, I certainly <laughs> am. And um, I said to them, they, they say like, you know, we want to book in for a day. And I was like, yeah, shoot me some dates, what's free with you? And then we can find out, you know, what suits everyone. And they come over, wrote some lyrics in the van on the way over, the Blimey. singer has. And um, they just write great songs. Mm. And th this is another thing that, uh, this has got to be said. Because anyone who comes in the studio has got a really... When they first came, mm. you could tell they had like what they call the red light fever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally and do. Red light goes on to record. All of a sudden, your fingers won't play the bloody chords. You've forgotten the words. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it all goes to shit. And they weren't... I don't think they'd done much recording, so they weren't <coughs> really used to the process of just playing guitar on its own mm -hmm. and then adding the vocals right. and then adding anything else. Or if you make a mistake, we can 
just punch you in at a certain bit. Yep, drop ins. Yeah, yeah. Where now, you know, they're like telling me what to do. They know, <laughs> they know how to run it because they've they've recorded well, with me. Take it back to the first verse. Drop me in on the yeah. second bit. I'll go in. Bosh. So I'm like, yeah. right, well, they they come with the tempos already sorted. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They, yeah. They, yeah the t- so they go, we get the click track. Blimey. And they, they know what they're doing. So it's been a real progression for them as well. You know, with yeah. learning curve. I mean, they're, like you're dealing with the same crap over and over again. They become better every they're, time. They're super yeah. studio experienced. Mm. Do you know? That's why they can they can smash out a song in three four hours. Yeah. Yeah. You know they got, and what they'll do is they'll they'll have these ideas like they'll record them, mm. and then they'll just say do your magic to me, <laughs> and I'm like what what? And obviously in the early days, they're like, what, what do you want me to do? Do what you want. You know what we want to sound like. Yeah, yeah. And they just let me do whatever delays and everything, and put strings in, and put yeah. drums in, and put bass in, and I'd then send them the mix, and they'd be like, "Whoa, we really <laughs> like that. You know yeah. what you've done there is really good." Yeah. And I always say to them, "Don't feel just because it's there and I've done it, you have to say it's there." <laughs> you yeah. know, you can just say, "Actually, you don't like that." Yeah, I didn't want that. Yeah, and, I did that with them. Yeah, it's it's very um. I don't know. It's it's kind of for me. It's kind of terrifying because I did some. I've, I've done some quite decent collaborations since I've had this little home studio set up, especially playing harmonica on bits. And because I do play a little bit of guitar and a little bit of bass and stuff, and you know, been adding some stuff. Someone said, "Oh, you play bass. We stick bass on that." And I put bass on a track the other week, and then was terrified. And then I said to them, <laughs> "Please, if you don't like it, I shall not be offended. If you don't get a real bass player to put that on there, and not one bit, because I want it to be right for you. But yeah. at the same time." I was so over the moon to be involved in such a great song and being uh, being able to put my touch to it as well. I I think you you can't be precious, too precious about your bits, Mm. especially if if you're adding something on. I don't get offended if someone says, actually, what you've done there is we don't Mm -hmm. like it. Yeah, yeah. or we d- we don't like the delay you've put there. Well, you know, or, I think it took me it took me a long time as a musician, especially as I started as a kid and a fairly sensitive kid, to separate that they weren't thinking I was a twat. They just didn't like. <laughs> they didn't like the bit that I played. And yeah. I took it so personally that oh, I can't play. I'm an ass. I fucked it up. I've done this and everyone would just like just like oh god, that's it. And then be so desperate to be on people's albums and be involved musically that when I'm not, oh, I've missed my, I've missed my chance. I've missed a bit. They're going to go somewhere, and I had the chance to be part of it someday, and now I'm not. But yeah. I overthink everything to the fucking nth degree. Yeah, I think. <laughs> but you, I let that go a lot as I've become an adult. So I, I know if someone writes say. a song that, mm. that that is that is their song, but mm. I think someone who, you know, like that thing about oh the guitar's not loud enough, and you turn around and it's the guitarist who said it. <laughs> I think this is where big bands obviously they get a producer in. Mm because he's he's stepped away from the song right so right. he's listening as a listener yeah yeah it's objective the, isn't it the, the band mm. are listening for their little bit do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean their personal touch that's going to get them noticed that's going to yeah. someone say whoo that boy can really play yeah, yeah so yeah. I think instead of what the song needs exactly yeah. so I think you know that that's one way that I try to be that person when mm. someone comes in the studio because I, I listen to it as a song right, right. um Case of that is we had uh, I had some lads in from Bury St Edmunds. Mm. Um, You're getting far and wide, mate. Bury yeah, St Edmunds is far. far. <laughs> so um, they 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 stumbled across me because another band mm. out that way had recorded with me, yeah. and they liked or heard their CD and was like, "Whoa!" Yeah, and yeah. then actually this band from Bury had gone somewhere else, 
and they're paid ridiculous amounts of money. Yeah, they can. You and, can, um, can't you, though? You really can. I mean, I'm talking to, like, there's a band on the same record label as me, Ryder, and they paid 10 grand for, like, two tracks being recorded in, in perhaps... It, it's in all right if, you, if it sounds 10 grand's worth. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? You don't yeah. mind. Yeah. And I remember them, they, they came to me, and I said, all right, lads, I'd never met any of them before. They'd been recommended, like, the stuff. And I said, oh, have you done... You know, I always like to ask people if they've done any recording before, because am I... If they have, mm. they they're used to how it works and how to get all. all you don't want to be you don't want to be kind of condescending to go right. No. Yes, then it and be if they already go all right, mate. I'm bloody there. Yeah, yeah, or you know, we're now doing the vocals. Or can your headphones, you know, can you hear on your headphones okay or anything yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Where some people who've never been in there, they don't really know the ethos mm. of how it works, and they might think that that's the volume I'm getting in my headphones. Yeah. You so know, and I remember and, those and, days. Yeah, thinking, that, well, is this it? Is this how it's supposed to sound? <laughs> yeah. As to, you know, you, you daren't say, "Oh, can you turn it up?" Because you think, "Well, it, it must be the right level." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah. And I said, "Oh," you, and they said, "Yeah, yeah, we the re songs we're recording, we recorded somewhere else." Mm. I was like, "All oh, right, what, what are you recording them again?" I said, With "Different members or no? We just don't like the sound of them." Mm. So I, I said to them, "Well, can I hear it?" And they obviously loaded it up on their phone, and it was one of them. Oh, that sounds shite, turn it off. But the band sounded good. Mm. So I could hear that the band had potential, mm. but the band sounded... All the songs didn't sound as good as they should do. And I just yeah. said to them, how, how much did you pay for that? Oh, God. And they were like, two grand. And these were youngsters <laughs> yeah, yeah. who obviously... Thought that that's what you pay. Because you hear all sorts of stories, don't you? Yeah. You know, about how much people pay for a record studio in a day. Record studio in London, two grand a day. Which yeah. Back when I was a kid, yeah, it's got to be. Really? Does. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, oh, man, these lads recorded four songs mm. for two grand. And, and I knew in my head, I could if they'd have paid me two grand, it would have sounded better than that. <laughs> so I, I, I just couldn't get it into my head that someone had done that. You're right. You know, yeah. So you think and, someone had ripped them off, and it's that sort of yeah. the ethical question of it went round. Yeah. You, so it? they 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 then obviously recorded these new songs, and I remember when I was mixing them, I was going back to their other mixes mm. just to hear yeah the difference. We said I remember um, uh, there's a there's a documentary about Monmouth Valley Studios going about somewhere I can't remember it's on um, you know the one the, f the famous one down in Wales where yeah. um, you know uh, Stone Roses and Black Sabbath yeah. and um, Oasis very famously thing now, they um, recorded that there and they brought in their own engineer who would, who'd been doing a live set and I don't know if you've seen this but they, they recorded the whole album and then had this guy mix it and it kind of sounded yeah, it sounded alright it sounded like a live band in a pub and then they put Another and the difference, the shine on it, the whole upfront aggression yep. of, of the, the the first Oasis well, album that we know. It was it was so, it was so different. If I'd have heard one by itself, I'd have gone, oh, yeah, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> but then you were that when you go, fuck in hell. Well, see, live sound and studio sound is another totally different thing. Mm, so so you, you'd where because you'd started off doing live live stuff, yeah, yeah, and stuff. So but I think you'd. It sounds to me like from. You know, doing live recordings, you managed to make the transition. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, when we'd done the live recordings years and years ago, people wanted it to still sound live. So you had to keep that rawness. Yeah. So you you didn't try and polish it too much. Mm. And then obviously studio stuff. Well, I say that, but some bands <laughs> come in and they want that on. They want that raw sound. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I always, 
I always, when a band comes in, I always chat to them. I try and make them feel as comfortable as possible because I don't think there's anything worse than being in a studio and playing your part mm. and feeling uh, as though there's some... I don't know that you can't play your bit. Yeah, really like you're well. being like you're being judged. Yeah, you know, I mean that that's about what goes through my head. I walk into a studio with an un, unknown engineer or producer, and I go, "This guy must have seen." And you look around, there's instruments and like signed or signed albums on a wall, and you think, "Oh God!" There's one in Denmark. I did some uh, session work in Denmark, uh, underground studio in Denmark, Denmark Street for Acid Jazz Records when I was about fifteen, and there was like gold discs on the wall, and the engineer sat there and he's like. All right, mate, whenever. I was like, oh, fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's seen it all. Whatever I play is definitely going to be shit. That's right. And then you're not going to get the best out of the musician, which then makes... For a bad recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you want, you want it to be... So I always chat to them first, make them feel welcome. Mm. I always tell them, play. Even if you make a mistake, just still play. Yeah. Because it might just be that one little bit. Mm. The rest of the take might be the tits. Yeah. And you've just glitched that one note. So you can And we can that. fix that. Yeah, from the next chorus. So I tell, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I tell everyone, <coughs> everything's fixable. Mm. Um, obviously, when singers come, I always tell them, I can help them with pitch mm. by fixing them using <laughs> software, but I can't add in emotion. So right, I would rather right. you sing slightly sharp and flat. That's an intuitive thing to say, but mean it. Wow, yeah, I've sing, never heard an engineer say that. You know, yeah. sing with meaning. Because mm-hmm. there's no plug-in that right. I know of or no hardware to go that go, oh, press the sing it with bollocks button. Do you know what I mean? Or, <laughs> I think that can apply to mostly any instrument, but specifically with, with singing, you can't. Yeah, yeah and that is most prevalent with those as well, yeah. isn't it? You know. Well, I've had vocalists come in and they've sung their line, and I'm like, wow, man, that's awesome. Mm. But that, that bit in the middle, you were just flat. Mm. But I don't want you to sing it again because I can fix you're that. not going to get that yeah. passion that you had in it. You're now going to overthink it, it, overcompensate it. Yeah. It's easier for me just to fix it mm. and no one will know. Blimey. So, and I also, another thing I do is uh, when we do vocal tuning, I always ask a band if they have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. So, because there's nothing worse than spending two, three hours everyone's heard of auto-tune yeah. well that's a load of bollocks there's no such thing as auto-tune <laughs> because it, it only drags it to the closest note you're singing so okay. if you're if you're quite a good singer yeah. and you sing quite close mm. you know it's going to be working hardly at all so it won't actually switch it to the correct note if you're singing no the, it will only pull it one. it will only pull it to the, the note that you're closest okay, to okay right um, so people always think oh yeah just chuck auto-tune on no I use one called Melodyne <laughs> Right. Which is a, it's the same kind of program but mm. different manufacturer. Because I think people think that it just took away talent. Oh, you don't need to be talented anymore. You don't need to sing. Just whack a load of auto tune on, a um, load of compression, and uh, yeah, anybody can sing once they're in a studio, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no, it, it's you know, it, it, if you're singing all over the show, mm. you know that can take some time right. to tune up. Yeah, you know, if you're because you do it note for note. So there's nothing worse than spending like. I don't oh, know, so you don't just like like select the whole waveform no. and go um, or you know 
yeah. just plug ninety percent, ninety percent auto tune, fifty yeah. percent auto tune. No. So you do it. You, you so like I pick go out, through, pick out the note that's wrong and try and correct yeah. that one. So wow. I would go through the whole of that the is vocal a lengthy take. process. Jesus. Um, See vocalists as well, and I get it for the harmonica too, and it's not always fixable. I've noticed with compression, which is where your magic comes in, swaying away to and from the microphone and stuff like that. Not always fixable with compression. No. I noticed because God damn it, I've tried. Yeah, <laughs> and also, but that comes with studio experience so yeah. you know you know when, when you get someone who's never done it before they just sing you know right close to the mic or right far away yeah really quiet. um i remember <laughs> or, I had... or sound check really quietly and then belt it out as soon yeah. as you press record yeah yeah <laughs> i have heard a good and because um i tried to record as a guitarist friend of mine he was only ever sung live uh, and on an sm58 right up against his nose <laughs> Right, so when I got him in, in front of a condenser microphone in the studio, I, I heard a trick whereby you put an SM58 that pokes over. Right. So that then he can't actually get any closer, Close can't get his nose on the condenser, he's got it on the SM58, so that's, so, that's his thing. <laughs> but sometimes that's that's a comfort thing, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. Yeah, so that's yeah. how they like to sing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of some other tricks that I've done, and you know, just to get people through the sessions. Yeah. To make them feel comfortable. Mm. Um, oh, I remember I had a guy in once, and he he said he couldn't he couldn't sing without playing the guitar. Oh right, yeah. So what he'd done is he'd um, I gave him a guitar with like no strings on, <laughs> so he could hold it and do all this <laughs> and sing, and yeah. it, and it did work because when he was singing without the guitar, yeah. his vocals wasn't as good as when he was. He's actually uh, strumming yeah. that thing and he was playing the guitar. So yeah, that's again, that's. Just one of them. There's loads of tricks, <laughs> and that that you can use, and just finding the right one for the the right job. Yeah, I thing. mean it, it's a, it's a fairly measured environment, and you know these are stuff that you need to do to get stuff done. Because I think people the misconception is that oh, I do it live, and you just do the same thing in front of a microphone, and that'll be lovely. But it kind of doesn't, and it doesn't. And you think, oh, I remember putting myself in front of a condensed mic the first time in a, in, a, in just a bare room, and thinking, why doesn't it sound like it does in my ears? Why doesn't it sound like when I play live in the PA in the pub, you know, because it's a controlled environment and you need to start doing things dead and in your room and, you know, yeah, uh, yeah taking that, the, the, uh, the minus 200 hertz rule and stuff like that from anything that isn't bass or, dr and or bass that. drums yeah, and stuff so you've like got, that. Yeah. The room plays a massive part. Mm, so like, I didn't realise quite how much. No, so the new studio is going to be designed, it's been designed totally flat. Right. So obviously Paul, the designer, has said, you know, he's already told me that my speakers I've got you're going to hear totally different than I've ever heard them before. Yeah. So he's like, wow. you wait, you, you haven't heard your Adam speakers. <laughs> you start going back through all your mixes and going, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, I don't, I don't that you will. But well, look, mate, we've been, we're, I usually do an hour. We're an hour and a half, mate. Well, well, hey. It's fascinating. So, um, yeah, you're going to have to come back and tell us more another time, I think. Yeah, right? when it's built. When it's know, built. Yeah, we'll have to tell you well, how it's perhaps going. Perhaps I'll do a live, like, take take my little setup and interview you in there and perhaps yeah, yeah. get a couple of pods, get them sons of Mark in and get them in to talk about what they're doing, being the first guys in the new studio yeah, that'd be an yeah. exciting little cast I wanna, actually I don't want to make that one I want to listen to that one <laughs> yeah so do I I, I, I know there's going to be some teething problems sure. obviously it's going to be same equipment but mm. um, there's going to be some teething problems but mm. you know yeah, I mean, it'll be awesome because it's you. Thanks for everything that you do, and thanks for coming over today. Thanks well, for inviting me. It's time, been mate. a pleasure. We got there in the end. We totally did, and we'll get there again, buddy. You take it easy, and um, I'll put a little link down in the um, uh, in the description here of Blaze Studios where they can have a look at what you do and cool. some samples of stuff you recorded. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Excellent. All Thank right, you. mate. Cheers, cheers, mate.